Chapter 1. Joseph. Part 10 of The Legends of the Jews. Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Legends of the Jews. Volume 2. By Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. The Ruler of Egypt. Now Joseph reaped the harvest of his virtues, and according to the measure of his merits God granted him reward. The mouth that refused the kiss of unlawful passion and sin received the kiss of homage from the people. The neck that did not bow itself unto sin was adorned with the gold chain that Pharaoh put upon it. The hands that did not touch sin wore the signet ring that Pharaoh took from his own hand and put upon Joseph's. The body that did not come in contact with sin was arrayed in vestures of basis. The feet that made no steps in the direction of sin reposed in the royal chariot, and the thoughts that kept themselves undefiled by sin were proclaimed as wisdom. Joseph was installed in his high position and invested with the insignia of his office, with solemn ceremony. The king took off his signet ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in princely apparel, and set a gold crown upon his head, and laid a gold chain about his neck. Then he commanded his servants to make Joseph to ride in his second chariot, which went by the side of the chariot wherein sat the king, and he also made him to ride upon a great and strong horse of the king's horses, and his servants conducted him through the streets of the city of Egypt. Musicians, no less than a thousand striking cymbals, and a thousand blowing flutes, and five thousand men with drawn swords gleaming in the air formed the vanguard. Twenty thousand of the king's grandees, girt with gold-embroidered leather belts, marched at the right of Joseph, and as many at the left of him. The women and the maidens of the nobility looked out of the windows to gaze upon Joseph's beauty, and they poured down chains upon him and rings and jewels, that he might but direct his eyes toward them. Yet he did not look up, and as a reward God made him proof against the evil eye, nor has it ever had the power of inflicting harm upon any of his descendants. Servants of the king, preceding him and following him, burnt incense upon his path, and cassia, and all manner of sweet spices, and strewed myrrh and aloes wherever he went. Twenty heralds walked before him, and they proclaimed, This is the man whom the king hath chosen to be the second after him. All the affairs of state will be administered by him, and whoever resisteth his commands, or refuseth to bow down to the ground before him, he will die the death of the rebel against the king and the king's deputy. Without delay the people prostrated themselves, and they cried, Long live the king, and long live the deputy of the king. And Joseph, looking down from his horse upon the people, and their exultation, exclaimed, his eyes directed heavenward, the Lord raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the needy from the dunghill. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. After Joseph, accompanied by Pharaoh's officers and princes, had journeyed through the whole city of Egypt, and had viewed all there was therein, he returned to the king on the selfsame day, and the king gave him fields and vineyards as a present and also three thousand talents of silver, and a thousand talents of gold, and onyx stones, and medallium, and many other costly things. 
The king commanded, moreover, that every Egyptian give Joseph a gift, else he would be put to death. A platform was erected in the open street, and there all deposited their presents, and among the things were many of gold and silver, as well as precious stones, carried thither by the people, and also the grandees, for they saw that Joseph enjoyed the favor of the king. Furthermore, Joseph received one hundred slaves from Pharaoh, and they were to do all his bidding, and he himself acquired many more, for he resided in a spacious palace. Three years it took to build it. Special magnificence was lavished upon the hall of state, which was his audience chamber, and upon the throne fashioned of gold and silver and inlaid with precious stones, whereon there was the representation of the whole land of Egypt and of the river Nile. And as Joseph multiplied in riches, so he increased also in wisdom, for God added to his wisdom that all might love and honor him. Pharaoh called him Zephanath Penea, he who can reveal secret things with ease, and rejoiceth the heart of man therewith. Each letter of the name Zephanath Penea has a meaning too. The first, Zede, stands for Zopha, seer. Pe, for Poda, redeemer. Nun, for Nabai, prophet. Ta, for Tomek, supporter. Pe, for Poter, interpreter of dreams. Ain, for Arum, clever. Nun, for Nabon, discreet. And Het, for Hakam, wise. The name of Joseph's wife pointed to her history in the same way. Asenath was the daughter of Dinah and Hamor, but she was abandoned at the borders of Egypt, only, that people might know who she was, Jacob engraved the story of her parentage and her birth upon a gold plate fastened around her neck. The day on which Asenath was exposed, Potiphar went walking with his servants near the city wall, and they heard the voice of a child. At the captain's bidding they brought the baby to him, and when he read her history from the gold plate he determined to adopt her. He took her home with him, and raised her as his daughter. The Aleph in Asenath stands for On, where Potiphar was priest. The Samek for Satera, hidden, for she was kept concealed on account of her extraordinary beauty. The Nun for Nohemet, for she wept and entreated that she might be delivered from the house of the heathen Potiphar, and the Ta for Tamah, the perfect one, on account of her pious, perfect deeds. Esenath had saved Joseph's life while she was still an infant in arms. When Joseph was accused of immoral conduct by Potiphar's wife and the other women, and his master was on the point of having him hanged, Asenath approached her foster father, and she assured him under oath, that the charge against Joseph was false. Then spake God, As thou livest, because thou didst try to defend Joseph, thou shalt be the woman to bear the tribes that he is appointed to beget. Asenath bore him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, during the seven years of plenty, for in the time of famine Joseph refrained from all indulgence in the pleasures of life. They were bred in chastity and fear of God by their father, and they were wise and well instructed in all knowledge and in the affairs of state, so that they became the favorites of the court and were educated with the royal princes. Before the famine broke over the land, Joseph found an opportunity of rendering the king a great service. 
he equipped an army of four thousand six hundred men providing all the soldiers with shields and spears and bucklers and helmets and slings with this army and aided by the servants and officers of the king and by the people of egypt he carried on a war with tarshish in the first year after his appointment as viceroy the people of tarshish had invaded the territory of the ishmaelites and the latter few in number at that time were sore pressed and applied to the king of egypt for help against their enemies at the head of his host of heroes joseph marched to the land of havilah where he was joined by the ishmaelites and with united forces they fought against the people of tarshish routed them utterly settled their land with the ishmaelites while the defeated men took refuge with their brethren in javan joseph and his army returned to egypt and not a man had they lost in a little while joseph's prophecy was confirmed that year and the six following years were years of plenty as he had foretold the harvest was so ample that a single ear produced two heaps of grain and joseph made circumspect arrangements to provide abundantly for the years of famine he gathered up all the grain and in the city situated in the middle of each district he laid up the produce from round about and had ashes and earth strewn on the garnered food from the very soil on which it had been grown also he preserved the grain in the ear all these being precautions taken to guard against rot and mildew the inhabitants of egypt also tried on their own account to put aside a portion of the superabundant harvest of the seven fruitful years against the need of the future but when the grievous time of dearth came and they went to their storehouses to bring forth the treasured grain behold it had rotted and become unfit for food the famine broke in upon the people with such suddenness that the bread gave out unexpectedly as they sat at their tables they had not even a bite of bran bread thus they were driven to apply to joseph and beseech his help and he admonished them saying give up your allegiance to these deceitful idols and say blessed is he who giveth bread unto all flesh but they refused to deny their lying gods and they betook themselves to pharaoh only to be told by him go unto joseph what he saith to you do for this pharaoh was rewarded god granted him long life and a long reign until he became arrogant and well-merited punishment overtook him when the egyptians approached joseph with the petition for bread he spoke saying i give no food to the uncircumcised go hence and circumcise yourselves and then return hither they entered the presence of pharaoh and complained to him regarding joseph but he said as before go unto joseph and they replied we come from joseph and he hath spoken roughly unto us saying go hence and circumcise yourselves we warn thee in the beginning that he is a hebrew and would treat us in such wise pharaoh said to them o ye fools did he not prophesy through the holy spirit and proclaim to the whole world that there would come seven years of plenty to be followed by seven years of dearth why did you not save the yield of one or two years against the day of your need weeping they made reply the grain that we put aside during the good years has rotted pharaoh have you nothing over of the flour of yesterday the egyptians the very bread in the basket rotted pharaoh why the egyptians because joseph willed thus pharaoh o ye fools if his word hath power over the grain making it to rot when he desireth it to rot then also must we die if so be his wish concerning us go therefore unto him and do as he bids you the 
The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Joseph's Brethren in Egypt The famine, which inflicted hardships first upon the wealthy among the Egyptians, gradually extended its ravages as far as Phoenicia, Arabia, and Palestine. Though the sons of Jacob, being young men, frequented the streets and the highways, yet they were ignorant of what their old home-keeping father Jacob knew, that corn could be procured in Egypt. Jacob even suspected that Joseph was in Egypt. His prophetic spirit, which forsook him during the time of his grief for his son, yet manifested itself now and again in dim visions, and he was resolved to send his sons down into Egypt. There was another reason. Though he was not yet in want, he nevertheless had them go thither for food, because he was averse from arousing the envy of the sons of Esau and Ishmael by his comfortable state. For the same reason, to avoid friction with the surrounding peoples, he bade his sons not appear in public with bread in their hands or in the accoutrements of war. And, as he knew that they were likely to attract attention on account of their heroic stature and handsome appearance, he cautioned them against going to the city altogether, through the same gate, or, indeed, showing themselves altogether anywhere in public, that the evil eye be not cast upon them. The famine in Canaan inspired Joseph with the hope of seeing his brethren. To make sure of their coming, he issued a decree concerning the purchase of corn in Egypt as follows. By order of the king and his deputy, and the princes of the realm, be it enacted that he who desireth to buy grain in Egypt may not send his slave hither to do his bidding, but he must charge his own sons therewith. An Egyptian or a Canaanite that hath bought grain, and then selleth it again, shall be put to death, for none may buy more than he requireth for the needs of his household. Also, who cometh with two or three beasts of burden, and loads them up with grain, shall be put to death. At the gates of the city of Egypt, Joseph stationed guards, whose office was to inquire and take down the name of all that should come to buy corn, and also the name of their father and their grandfather. And every evening the list of names thus made was handed to Joseph. These precautions were bound to bring Joseph's brethren down to Egypt, and also acquaint him with their coming as soon as they entered the land. On their journey, his brethren thought more of Joseph than of their errand. They said to one another, we know that Joseph was carried down into Egypt, and we will make search for him there. And if we should find him, we will ransom him from his master. And if his master should refuse to sell him, we will use force, though we perish ourselves. At the gates of the city of Egypt, the brethren of Joseph were asked what their names were, and the names of their father and grandfather. The guard on duty happened to be Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The brethren submitted to being questioned, saying, let us go into the town, and we shall see whether this taking down of our names be a matter of taxes. If it be so, we shall not demur. But if it be something else, we shall see to-morrow what can be done in the case. On the evening of the day they entered Egypt, Joseph discovered their names on the list, which he was in the habit of examining daily, and he commanded that all stations for the sale of corn be closed except one only. Furthermore, even at this station, no sales were to be negotiated unless the name of the would-be purchaser was first obtained. His brethren, with whose names Joseph furnished the overseer of the place, were to be seized and brought to him as soon as they put in appearance. But the first thought of the brethren was for Joseph, and their first concern to seek him. For three days they made search for him everywhere, even in the most disreputable quarters of the city. 
Meantime, Joseph was in communication with the overseer of the station, kept open for the sale of corn, and, hearing that his brethren had not appeared there, he dispatched some of his servants to look for them. But they found them neither in Mizraim, the city of Egypt, nor in Goshen, nor in Ramses. Thereupon he sent sixteen servants forth to make a house-to-house -house search for them in the city, and they discovered the brethren of Joseph in a place of ill fame, and hailed them before their master. End of chapter 1, part 10